Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. So great to have you here with us today. It's our Wednesday edition of Locked On Blue Devils here this week. And so excited because Josh Cox from Duke Football Talks Section 17 podcast is back here with us as he is about once a week. I love Josh for all the time. He takes to join us here on the show. If you haven't done so already, follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils and follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore like and subscribe and follow the podcast for free wherever you get them. All right, let's recap the Virginia game on today's program with Josh Cox. Talk a little bit more about Duke basketball, ways to improve moving forward as it's a busy week for the Blue Devils with games still to come against Clemson and Boston College. So let's bring in Josh Cox now to join us here on the program. Josh, how you doing, man? Hey, doing well, JJ. Thanks for having me on again, man. Without a doubt, excited to uh, reunite, chat with you a little bit. I do want to spend some time talking about the Virginia game, an absolute heartbreaker for the Blue Devils as they fall to the Cavaliers by one point there inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. But I would be remiss, and uh, I think the Duke Blue Devil fans would be certainly upset if they didn't get to hear Josh Cox boast about the fact that in Mike Krzyzewski's final trip to the Dean Smith Center, he wins by 20 points. Let's start there, man. How about that game this past weekend versus North Carolina for Duke? You know, has there been a more dominant performance? And I mean, not the final score. It was only 20 points. I know that we have beat UNC there by more than 20 points in the past. But from the opening tip, we absolutely dominated that game. And had Kay really wanted to, uh, that, that could have easily been a 30-plus point win. Um, I, I love the fact that Savarino got in that game. Yeah. Um, it was, let's put it this way, man. I, I guess it was just a fun game to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. Every second of it. I mean, as you said, it wasn't competitive right out of the gates. And, and all of a sudden, Duke's winning 31-8, to eight, a 23-point lead in the first half. And then North Carolina goes on a bit of a run to end it. And you're a little nervous, or at least I was, to start the second half. And then A.J. Griffin said, you know what? Here's a 10-0 run all by myself. What about the play of A.J. Griffin, man? That was amazing to see. You know, when when he is on, when he is clicking, I, I, I'm i going to say this because I'm not the only person saying this. The ceiling for A.J. Griffin is probably the highest ceiling on our team. Sure. And that includes Paulo Banquero. I believe A.J. Griffin's potential, uh, this level and the next level, is just he is he is cold blooded and um, and man, I really really love watching him when he is in the groove for sure. And he was uh, in the Dean Smith Center uh, Saturday for sure. A career high twenty seven points for AJ Griffin. Duke wins by twenty over North Carolina. Uh, the Tar Heels, of course, feature Armando Baycott, who's played in the rivalry for a couple of years now. At this point, has already had a couple of twenty point twenty rebound games, a couple of quick fouls early, and then uh, really. An unproductive night for Baycott with just 12 points and five rebounds. Did that appear to you to be like the big defensive game plan for Duke, or 
talk to me a little bit about Duke's defense. Well, Duke came in with a chip on their shoulder. That's for sure. And it seemed as if that chip was uh, directed uh, solely at Baycott. And I don't know if they're, you know, the words that had gone back and forth before the game or, you know, there was some social media chatter. Evidently there was a, a deleted video that for some reason no one can can uh, show proof of, but of Paulo uh, calling them soft and things like that, you know. Um, and so whatever it was, uh, those the Duke big men came out just dead set on Armando Baycott and shutting him down. And you saw it, I mean, when Mark dunks on Brady Manick and, and Baycott really wasn't around, but Mark doesn't even say anything to Manick. Mark looks right at Baycott and taps his head, you know, like, I mean, they were all over him. And so, man, ba- Armando Baycott did not have a shot in this game. He did not have a chance. And I'll be honest with you, nothing against him. I think he's, he's a good player. I mean, Hubert Davis thinks he's the, you know, ACC player of the year, uh, but he's a good player, but he doesn't match up well with us. When you have Mark Williams on the floor uh, with Paulo Bancaro helping, uh, Baycott doesn't stand a chance. And then Theo matches up really well with right. him. And that was not just this season. That was last season uh, when he was at Marquette as well, shut Baycott down. And so I'll be honest with you, man. I know there was a lot of chippiness in that game. The, 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 uh, the fans before the game uh, chanting at K and things like that. And, 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 and certainly there's a line that, that neither side of the rivalry wants to cross. But I got to be honest with you. I love the chippiness. Right. I love the fact these guys are talking smack to each other on social media. I love the fact that Theo John posted a picture of him yelling at Caleb Love and he used the same caption that Caleb Love used last year when they beat Duke. Like, I absolutely love that there's a little bit of this back and forth. That's what makes the rivalry. And, you know, at the end of the day, these are kids, man. They're having fun. They're utilizing social media. And, you know, what? it gives it a little – there's a little more skin in the game. Uh, when they get together and play. And so, yeah, as far as Armando Baycott was concerned, I feel like he was target number one for the Duke defense and for the Duke team, and they absolutely took him out of his element. It gives uh, certainly Duke a lot of momentum, you would think, after a 20-point victory against North Carolina. Again, uh, a win for Mike Krzyzewski in his final trip to the Dean Smith Center. The hostility that was in the arena was certainly uh, fun to watch on the television screen for many. You had the photo taken with Roy Williams and Hubert Davis alongside Coach K and John Shire, kind of a past and future look for uh, the greatest rivalry in all of college basketball. So uh, let's move on to the Virginia game. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. Let me tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a proud sponsor of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. Make sure you try out Built Bar when you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, wanting to get fit, possibly eating healthier. Built Bar is something that needs to be included in your plan. It's got 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. The best part is that Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate and still healthy for you to consume. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off at Built.com. Again, Built.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order for Built Bar. Moving along here on a Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast, J.J. Jackson hanging out with Josh Cox from Duke Football Talk's Section 17 podcast. A quick turnaround for Duke. It's always difficult, Josh, when you make the Saturday to Monday 
game shift that Duke had to make in taking on a Tony Bennett coach Virginia team. Uh, we've had now six of the last seven meetings be decided by two points or less. As again, earlier in the week on Monday night, we saw Reese Beekman hit a three-pointer with a second to go to give Virginia the uh, one-point win over Duke. What is the one thing that you want to talk about first when it comes to this game, Josh? Well, first of all, I was able to be there in person, and uh, I tell you what, it was a packed house in there, uh, and I and, and the energy was good. Coming off um, a three-game road trip, I mean, yeah, it was. It yeah, was exactly. Back at home. Yeah, everybody was ready for them to be back. Um, what stands out to me most in this game is the disappearing act of two people. One of them uh, was his own fault. That's Paulo Bencaro. Nowhere to be found. He was on the floor, but he was nowhere to be found. And then the other one, I have to question, and I'll get and in, dig into this a little bit. And is that that's AJ Griffin, and and AJ didn't play well at the beginning of the game, and then he was completely, you know, taken out basically of the game. And uh, those, to me, that leads it. Those two guys basically had a disappearing act for this game. And certainly we're capable with the other players that we do have. But if we don't get good play from at least one Paula Bencaro or both A.J. Griffin with him, uh, we're not going to win uh, many games in the ACC without one of those guys stepping up and having a good game. And neither one of them uh, showed up for this game. So that's the, that's the first thing I would say. The second thing has been all credit to Tony Bennett. Look, we can People can say what they want to say. Listen, I, I make fun of Virginia basketball too. It's boring, even though – uh, if you look at some of the stats, um, this team might not be as boring as some of the older, the other Virginia teams, um, right. but, uh, but they run off of screens and it, their offense, honestly, if you're like a, a basketball purist and you like old school, like Bobby Knight, Indiana style basketball, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. If you like, like really high level high school basketball, <laughs> um, that's what they do. I mean, they run those screens on the baseline and, and they run curls and they run to the corner and then they come back off the screen. And honestly, they put, a, they put on a clinic and our guys were not ready defensively. We were not ready to defend the paint. We gave up tons of points in the paint. And at the end of the day, they, they, they punched us right in the face. And, uh, and we did fight back to our credit. We stayed in the game and you know, should have won the game in the end. But at the end of the day, a severely undermatched Virginia team, because of the way they play and their discipline on both ends of the court, they they came out with a victory. And so, you know, what what can you what more can you say? Right, Duke now nineteen and four on the season, nine and three in ACC play. They're tied with Notre Dame for the league lead. Uh, this is a Wednesday edition of Locked On Blue Devils. Right, so uh, responding to what you had to say there, Paulo and Wendell Moore led the team for Duke. They played 38 of 40 minutes, basically went the entire way, just 24 for A.J. Griffin, but sat the majority of the second half on the bench. Paulo, the talk about him, for the first time in his Duke career, he does not finish with double digits in terms of scoring numbers. Finishes with just nine points to go along with nine rebounds. He did take the final three-pointer with 1.1 seconds to go with Duke trailing by one on the full court inbound pass, but had not attempted a shot before that in the second half. I mean, we've noticed this trend a little bit before, and it's something that's talked about a lot 
uh, across college basketball. You talk about the debate recently uh, for the number one pick featuring Jabari Smith of Auburn and Paulo Bencaro for the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, Jabari Smith for Auburn recently had another game where he only took two or three shots in the second half. And Bruce Pearl, the Tigers head coach, took ownership of it, saying that Auburn needed to do a much better job of getting him the basketball. Bringing this back home to Duke, it was Mike Krzyzewski that turned the blame over to Paulo Bancaro and told Paulo that, uh, hey, man, you need to be a little bit more aggressive, essentially is what Mike Krzyzewski had to say after that with Paulo not attempting a shot. Is that the right move, you think, that it's got to be something for Paulo? Or should there have been a teaching moment? We don't know what was said in the huddle, you know, uh, with the coaching staff talking to Paulo. Tell me how you feel about all this, Josh. Yeah, for sure. So uh, being at the game, and I had a, a very, I had a very good uh, seat as far as uh, looking at the Duke bench. I could see the Duke bench and hear the Duke bench. Really, to be honest with you, um, there were several times in the second half where a play would happen, Paulo would have an opening and he would pass it up, right? And Kay multiple times jumped out of his seat, smacked his hands together at Paulo, and made the motion to shoot the ball. Um, he did it multiple times. So, on that end, I will say, absolutely, does Coach K want Paulo Bancaro shooting the ball more? 100%. Right. Yes. That's on Paulo. You've got to get the ball, and you've got to, you got to make it happen, okay, on one hand. But I think there's another side to this, and I think this is part of the coaching flaw, and I think it's very similar to 2019. In 2019, we had a – Young man on our team, I'm not sure if any of our listeners have ever heard of him. His name was Zion Williamson. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. Zion Williamson not only was the most dominant player in college basketball, but when he's healthy, he has shown that he can dominate in similar fashion at the next level. Right. And we had that young man on our team, and nothing against R.J. Barrett, who, by the way, is one of my favorite players. I still love him to this day. I, I watch Knicks basketball simply because of R.J. Barrett. I love R.J. Really Barrett. really well now, yeah. Yeah, he is. But in 2019, the Duke coaching staff could not figure out a way to get Zion Williamson the ball on a consistent basis in a position that he liked to score in. Now, I personally think it was simple that year. I think the elbow was the spot, and we should have run different sets and different plays for the ball to end up at the elbow with Zion Williamson. We didn't do it. The, the, that season ended. With, with a ball-dominant R.J. Barrett. And like I said, I love R.J. Barrett, um, but his usage was so high. So this year, here's the thing. It's not, it's not good enough, even for Zion, to just get him the ball at the shoulder and clear out and say, take it one-on-one. Now, certainly, Zion can score like that like crazy. But with Paulo, that's not good enough. The Duke coaching staff has got to figure out a way within – an offense right within a set within the ball moving and people screening and people moving for the ball to end up with Paulo in a scoring position. And so my question to the new coaching staff, do we know what Paulo's scoring position is? Do we know where he wants the ball and where he can, where he can maneuver the best? If we do, then it's up to the coaching staff and the other players to figure out a way within the flow of the offense Right. to make sure he is getting the ball. Now, I'm not paid millions of dollars to do that. I am not – and I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, that guy, you know. But right. at the end of the day, that is what that coaching staff is paid to do. And figuring out your players and figuring out 
where they get need the ball and how they function and what makes them tick. That is part of what they're supposed to do as a coaching staff. And so, yes, last night, Paulo should have uh, shot the ball more. I mean, at the end there, he, he turned the ball over the lane. It's like, Paulo, you're in the lane, bro. You got to take that ball up. Like, you need to be thinking, you know, dunk or, or smack the backboard right there instead of trying to pass the ball. Certainly, there a lot of that blame is on Paulo. But at the end of the day, he's uncomfortable right now. Something is uncomfortable with him in that offense. And I feel like the coaching staff's got to figure that out. After finishing with a career-high 27 points against North Carolina, A.J. Griffin comes in with just two points on one of seven shooting, 0 of two from three-point range. Did have four rebounds and four assists, but uh, again, really did not play much at all in the second half. I I was stunned. I don't know what the logic was or the reasoning was for Duke. I know also in the second half, Mark Williams found himself in foul trouble, was playing well uh, when he was in there on the floor, but uh, due to the foul trouble, Duke played a lot of Theo John there in the second half as well. What was up with AJ on uh, Monday night, Josh? That's that's a great question, JJ. Um, I actually, I'm in a, I'm in a a private uh, Duke Facebook group. Right. Uh, with just a few people, and it's kind of high level. In fact, the guys that run uh, the Devil's Den podcast right. kind of put it on that Facebook pay uh, group, and so we're in that. And I made this statement today. One of the things I said, the key, and it was not just the Virginia game. I wanted to take in context the UNC game. So let's do that. AJ Griffin plays the best game of his career Saturday night. Monday night, he begins the game and he's struggling. Here's my challenge to the Duke coaching staff: It's time to trust A.J. Griffin. It's time to trust him. It's time to give him a long leash. It's time to let him play through a struggle. Right. It's time to let him, let him, if this shot's not working, it's time to keep him in the game and let him find it. It's time to trust him uh, like they would trust a window more um, to, to play through some of these struggles. Because here's the thing, in my opinion, a Duke team that cuts down the nets in April is a Duke team where A.J. Griffin is possibly the most uh, valuable player on the team, if not one of the top two most valuable players on the team, in my opinion. We will not win a national title if A.J. Griffin is not one of our top two best players. And so I would love to see the Duke coaching staff trust him. He's efficient. He's smart. He plays good defense. He's not a liability on that end at all. And so, I mean, and, and maybe on the frustrating end here, how about we give him as long a leash as we give Jeremy Roach? Sure. I mean, how many times does that guy get beat on defense and we leave him in the game? How many times does he take a terrible shot and he stays in the game? And so, uh, AJ, in my opinion, because we've seen his upside and we know how good he can be, I challenge the new coaching staff to give him a long, a super long leash. Look, let, let, let's call it the way it is. You got other guys like Trevor Kills. Trevor Kills is a uh, an inefficient scorer. What was he? Three for eleven last night, I believe. Correct. Three for eleven. Uh, one three, for three, three for eleven. And certainly, there was a couple of plays that he made getting to the foul line uh, in the second half that were that were good. And I'm not saying that Trevor Kills needs to be out of the rotation by any means, but I'm saying a guy like AJ Griffin's ceiling is is light years above a Trevor Kills ceiling right now. Uh, the ceiling for AJ Griffin is light years ahead of the ceiling for Jeremy Roach right now. And so I would just like to see Duke go all in, right? Let's put all of our chips in. A.J. Griffin is one of our top three guys. Our, our three-headed monster is Wendell Moore, A.J. Griffin, and Paula Vanguera. 
you know, and, and let's roll with that. And then you got your big and Mark Williams and you got your other guard position that's going to rotate in and out. But these are our big three. These are our minute guzzlers. And these guys are going to, if we're going to, we're going to live and die off of these guys right here. And I think that the AJ's earned that. Yeah. Just two players in double figures for Duke against Virginia. Mark Williams was 16. Trevor Keels with 12. Tough loss. For Duke, they had won five in a row and dropped their game versus Virginia as the Blue Devils still atop the ACC at 9-3. and Let's talk more about Duke basketball right after our final break here today on Locked On Blue Devils. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scored points, total points, player performance props, where the next coach that is fired is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Wrapping up here today, we're talking with Josh Cox from Duke Football Talks Section 17 podcast. As you're listening to Josh speak here on a Wednesday, what's also amazing is that this week the Section 17 podcast came back. Their first conversation regarding Duke football in 2022 as we open up the Mike Elko era. Give me a little teaser for what's going on right now at Section 17, Josh. Yeah, so we have been planning this episode for uh, for a couple of months. And this uh, first episode of our third season um, was improving the overall fan experience of Duke football. And so we talked social media. We talked fan engagement here in the city of Durham. Uh, we talked jersey uh, combinations. Yeah. Uh, we talked um, uh, game day experience at Wallace Wade. Uh, we had Matt Tedder, who's one of the hard hat guys, uh, come on and give us some really good feedback. Excellent. Some I- ideas there. And so that's our first episode back so far. Just it's been out one day. We've gotten such incredible uh, feedback on it. Um, parents of players, diehard fans. Um, and, and I really, honestly, I really hope that the Duke football program gets a hold of some of it because uh, a good statement that was made on the podcast is it's not enough to just win football games, even though that does help. Right. But but it's not just enough to win. It's creating that culture that you want for a program. And, all you know, that's that's more than just winning games. So anyway, check it out. We did release it on Monday. Um, and so uh, we would we would appreciate it if you check it out. And when you're there, uh, maybe shoot us some feedback, some ideas maybe you have for how to improve the fan experience, you know, of Duke football. Yeah, on Twitter, at DukeFBTalk. Send thoughts that way. Leave us five-star ratings and review. We appreciate when you do that. All right, back to basketball. Duke's got another busy week as they play on Thursday. That's tomorrow against Clemson. And then they've got another quick turnaround as they play on Saturday versus Boston College. So a game, a day off, and then another game coming up for Duke. Have already played Clemson once this season at home from inside Cameron Indoor. Paulo made a lot of buckets late. And that's what's interesting now as we talk big picture for Duke. Four losses on the year by a combined nine total points. And really, if you want to talk super close basketball games late down the stretch, the biggest ones that come to mind are Gonzaga and Las Vegas. And then this Clemson game 
from uh, earlier in the year at Cameron Indoor. Uh, uh, that's got to be one of the bigger issues, Josh, right? Is this Duke basketball team's ability to finish games. Yeah, and you can look at it two different ways. One way you can say, man, we are legitimately one play in each of these games away from being undefeated. You can look at it that way, and and certainly that is one way of looking at it. It's like, right. man, you're not, we're not getting blown out. There's not one team that's beat us that's, like, better than us. You know what I'm saying? Like, at the end of the day, including Ohio State and all that, you know, whatever. Um, none of those teams are better than us, and none of those teams were even better than us that night. We, we lost those games because of one play at a certain point. Um, by the way, including last night, uh, Monday night's game, uh, a defensive lapse. Mark Williams hadn't been in the game for seven minutes. Theo John had been playing his butt off. Right. And we bring Mark in, and between Mark and defensive lapse, Jeremy Roach, somebody doesn't get out there, and, and we give up wide open three. So all that to say, it's one play. So that's one way of looking at these close losses. The other way of looking at these close losses is, man, good teams find a way to win these close games. Great, let's put the great teams find a way to win these close games. Um, and so you can look at it the positive way or you can look at it the negative way. But at the end of the day, I believe we're like two and three and games decided by a certain amount of points, the close points. That's not good. If we're gonna if we're gonna do uh what we want to do at the end of March and beginning of April, uh, we're gonna have to win some close games. And so I, I guess the question, JJ, I'd love I'd love to hear your feed, your your thoughts even. Yeah. Like when we need it, you know, when we're down to and there's 45 seconds left on the clock, who's the guy? And so far this year, there's not been a guy. I, I as as I have been critical of him on this podcast, let me just say if there's been a guy, it's been Jeremy Roach. Yeah. Like when we need a bucket, he's not afraid. And so I, that's that's a problem, though, because I feel like it needs to be someone else. I feel like it needs to be Wendell, AJ, or Paulo. And Wendell's not had a good track record at right. the end of games this, this year. Uh, Paulo, yeah, he made, he's made some clutch buckets. I get that. But once again, I, I, I didn't even plan on doing this. I feel like the guy with the potential to be the guy is AJ. He's the, He's got the potential to say, give me the ball at the end of the game. I can get to the basket. Or I can do a step back and pull up three. And I would, so all I would that, love if that happens. Yeah, it would, it would make us the best version of Duke basketball. Um, and so, yeah, th- this is a revenge game at Clemson. I mean, we're going down there. Uh, that's not an easy place to play. Any, you know how it is with Duke. Any road game. Any road game in the ACC is tough because, you know, they're going to have more people in the crowd than they've had any game this season. It's going to be louder than any game this season. They're going to be amped up. Uh, and, man, to think that you could be a Clemson basketball player and say that we swept Duke in Coach K's final season, like that would be awesome. You're going to tell your grandkids that, right? So at the end of the day, this is a big game for Clemson, um, and it needs to be a big game for Duke. I can't believe that we're sitting here tied with Notre Dame, of all people. Right. Notre Dame atop the ACC. We ought to be one to two games ahead. Uh, but here we sit. And so this game is very important. And then once again, as you said, a quick turnaround. Obviously, we ought to beat the brakes off Boston College. But you never know. That's why we yeah. play the game. And going on the road, you're going to get everyone's best shot. For Clemson, as you mentioned, Duke did escape uh, with a four-point victory. But last night, Clemson lost a heartbreaker to North Carolina in the same week, separated by you know a 72-hour period, Tuesday, Thursday, back-to-back for Clemson. They're hosting the Tar Heels. 
and then they're hosting Duke, having lost by two points last night. I hope Duke can take it to them tomorrow. Jeremy's been great that of late, as we've said, down the stretch against Gonzaga. He had that big layup against uh, Virginia on Monday. He had the one floater where he kind of pulled up right before it was Jaden Gardner that was trying to take a charge for Virginia, which was clutch to see from him. And I tell you, Wendell Moore, I would love to see make some of those bigger plays down the stretch. But I don't know what it's been since the COVID pause that everyone wants to bring up. He's just not been the same player scoring the basketball. He shared it a little bit, uh, but not scoring the basketball. And that's obviously something I would love to see corrected for Duke is to get more consistent numbers offensively from their guys all across the board. Yeah, and some people don't think I'm crazy. I got confused with uh, Clemson and Miami. So the Miami game is the game that we lost. And so uh, just just – Scratch all the stuff I said about them uh, getting swept, but it would still be a big deal. It, it would be it a big deal be. if you win at home, right? If 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 Coach last trip to Little John is a loss, yep. that'd be significant. Yeah, for sure. So I just had I had a, a quick little uh, brain fart there. So sorry about that. All right. Well, let me let me close with this then, Josh. Again, Josh Cox from Duke Football Talk Section Seventeen Podcast, because uh, you know you are you are one of the uh, the top guys when it comes to consuming. Duke Twitter, right? The big voices in the Duke Twitter community. Uh, we know several of them, right? And for whatever reason, from my perspective, Josh, it really did. And you mentioned being a part of um, some high-level conversations on Facebook and social media and that sort of thing. For whatever reason, the Duke basketball brand, the program, is one of, if not the best program that there is in all of college basketball. And for whatever reason, it also – happens to be, at times, one of the most pessimistic groups of fans mm -hmm. that there is when uh, scrolling through social media and seeing what people have to say. I certainly felt that way if you scroll through the past, you know, 20 minutes after the loss to Virginia on Monday night. So my question to you in conclusion is this Duke team has their sights on six. You want to win the national championship every year. It would be even more special knowing that it's Coach K's final year. Do you think that is still an attainable goal for Duke basketball in 2022? Yeah, man, I, that was a great little uh, – that was a great paragraph there you just yeah. had. You're exactly <laughs> right. So, first of all, let me say, pessimistic Duke social media. Am uh, I wrong? Oh, you're, you're spot on, man. <laughs> and let me just say this. It's not just basketball. Pessimistic Duke football Twitter, man, some of those folks – and, you know, we all can get in, in, in our feelings a little bit, uh, but – but man, some of the pessimism pessimism around football, it just got next level. Right. To the point that I don't know if you remember the one game, Duke posted the final score and cut off replies, wouldn't let people yeah. reply <laughs> on Twitter. So anyway, all that to say, Duke fans, look, we are the kings of overreaction. Right? We're the kings of facts. Saturday, Saturday night, JJ, all those get same, same people were like this team is built for the final four. <laughs> this team has got it put together. Now that AJ's clicking, we're where we need to be. And 48 hours later, guess what? AJ ain't clicking anymore. Paulo was a no-show, and we lose. And now the sky's falling, right? So I'm going to answer your question because it, it, it's a great question. Taking a step back, right? Let's take a step back. Let's put it in perspective. We've lost four games this year. I would say if you said at the beginning of the season, this team loses five regular season games, I think every Duke fan would be like, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, five, okay. 
Right. We can handle five. We can handle five losses. So if five gives us probably a two seed. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be fine with that. So I'm not going to overreact to having four losses at this point in the season. And we may lose another one. And I'm not going to overreact then. I will, go, I will go to bat on this. I will defend this take for, until the season's over. There is not a team in the country when they're playing well that can beat Duke if Duke's playing well. Right. There's not a team in the country that can beat a, a well-playing Duke team. In fact, I would say this. I don't think Duke fans – I don't think we've seen Duke play fully to its potential yet. I would agree There's not. There's not been a game where it just felt like every single thing was clicking because in our early wins, Kentucky, Gonzaga, the A.J. Griffin factor wasn't yep. quite there yet. Yep. And so can this team win the national title? There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Can this team get beat? in the second round of the NCAA tournament, there's no doubt <laughs> in my mind. Uh, and so maybe this team, I saw someone try to be reasonable, and I appreciate the take. We seem to play to the level of our opponent. Right. Um, and I think that's that that's a fair assessment. And so if we can make it through the first round of the NCAA tournament, maybe we'll up our play. Um, but at the end of the day, absolutely this team. And, and, and I would say this. I'm trying to temper – my expectations. This is Kay's last ride. I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I possibly can. I still get frustrated. Um, I do think that final four, I will be disappointed if we don't make the final four. Now, whether we win it all, once you make it to the final four, man, there's so many little things that can happen. Right. It is what it is. But I would be, to me, this, this team is built for the tournament and it's, in my opinion, it's Final Four or bust. But once again, if they go out in the first round, you know what? I spent a bunch of money this year, and I went to a bunch of home games, and I wanted to be a part of K's last season. And the man has been incredible, not only for Duke basketball, but for the whole sport. And so at the end of the day, I think Duke fans need to take a deep breath, take a step back, and realize no matter what happens to the rest of the season, we're witnessing history. We need to enjoy it, cheer our guys on. Think of the pressure that's on these guys. Yeah. You know, they're feeling it. And so uh, I love the we can win it. We too. can win it. Yeah, we can win it. But let's be OK if something happens and we don't. Right. I'm, I'm all for the optimism. That's the way I like to operate and live my life. And the perspective that you're offering from getting to be there in person for a number of Duke basketball games this season. You mentioned earlier in the Virginia game, our most recent game that Duke played, Coach K yelling and like not letting the world know by his actions that this man is 74 years old, about to turn 75, and in his 42nd season coaching this basketball. Like, that's amazing, man, that uh, yep. we're getting to experience this and, and something that will never happen again. So, awesome stuff. Continue to be optimistic. Continue to believe in this Duke basketball team. And, hey, our sights are on six. Let's keep it that way. Josh Cox, I appreciate you, my buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks, JJ. Have a great night, man. That is Josh Cox joining us here on the Section 17 podcast. That's going to do it for today's show. Make sure you follow our podcast right now. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Do the same for the Section 17 podcast. That'll do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you, and good day.